your Bible to Genesis chapter 25, verse 27. Vamos a ir a Génesis, el capítulo 25, y el verso 27 en adelante. Genesis is the first book of your Bible, all right? So you won't have a hard time finding that. And we're going to go to uh, the continuation of where we left off last time. We began studying a little bit last week about the life of Jacob. Comenzamos una serie nueva de estudios la semana pasada sobre la vida de Jacob. And uh, we began by talking about his mother. Comenzamos hablando de la madre de Jacob because she was uh, an example to us of the power of prayer and the power of God's purpose at work in our life. Ella es un ejemplo a nosotros de el poder de la oración y el poder del propósito de Dios en nuestra vida. And we noted that when she was pregnant with these twins, uh, she described the intensity of that pregnancy. It was a difficult pregnancy. As uh, always, when you're going to give birth to something great for God, it's going to be uh, going to require a challenge. And so as she was giving birth to this great uh, work that God was doing in her life, she went through this difficulty in, in her pregnancy and the Bible said that she, uh, she said that the two sons were striving with one another. They were pushing each other in her womb. And these boys were fighting even before they were born. Uh, cuando Rebeca estaba embarazada con estos dos varoncitos que iban a nacer, ellos estaban peleando dentro de ella. We talked last week about the struggle that takes place internally in our hearts. Sometimes a struggle between the right and the wrong. And uh, we always have to give way to the right. Say amen, somebody. But then there's also the struggle that comes between uh, right and right. And that really is the hard part, when you have to struggle between God's will and God's will. And God wants it all done, and you feel like you don't know how you're going to get it all done. How am I going to serve God and my family? How am I going to meet all of these uh, things that God has put on my plate. We learned last week that God spoke to Rebecca as she struggled with this. Mientras Rebecca uh, peleaba con este asunto de estos dos hijos, que um, los dos, ambos tenían propósito. Y a veces en nuestra vida hay ese problema o ese, ese dilema entre dos propósitos de Dios. El servir a Dios y servir a la familia. El dar y el de uh, poder... Uh, Proveer para la familia. Y todo esto a veces causa ese dilema dentro de nosotros. Y vimos la semana pasada que Dios le dio a Rebeca la respuesta. God gave Rebecca the answer uh, for the challenges that we face sometimes. And he said, there are in your womb two nations. Two divine purposes of God that I'm bringing about. Dios le dijo a Rebeca, dentro de tu vientre hay dos naciones. Dos propósitos de Dios. Dos cosas grandes que Dios quiere hacer. And so the important thing when you are working out that, that conflict between God and your family, between ministry and, and the home, between all of those things that God has put on your plate, the important thing is not to kill one and let the other live. Say amen, somebody. But rather to give birth to the entire purpose of God. And that can only come by the grace and strength that God supplies. 
Say amen, somebody. So tonight I want us to continue, verse 27. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of field, of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau, but he had a taste for gain. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Say, uh-oh. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Tonight I want to uh, speak about not selling your birthright. Tell your neighbor, don't sell your birthright. Tell him again, don't sell your birthright. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach, anoint the hearing of your people, that we might hear in faith and practice your word in our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. So now Rebecca has given birth to two sons. Rebecca ha dado a luz a dos hijos. Y ellos van creciendo. Y uh, cuando ellos crecen, sigue ese conflicto. As they grow, the conflict remains. Now, the two sons are named Esau and Jacob. Uh, usted sabe que los nombres de estos muchachos era Esaúl y Jacob. Esau was born first. He was born just a few minutes before Jacob. Uh, Esaú nació primero, uh, unos minutos quizá antes de Jacob. And uh, Jacob, as Esau was being born, mientras, mientras Esaú uh, nacía, Jacob extendió su mano y le agarró el pie. He extended his hand, Jacob did, and he grabbed Esau's heel. And so the name of Jacob literally means heel grabber. El nombre de Jacob literalmente significa el que uh, uh, toma del pie o el que agarra el pie. And the, the impression there is that Jacob was trying to take the place of the firstborn. La impresión ahí es que Jacob uh, en un estado inconsciente estaba queriendo tomar el lugar de él. Uh, primogenito. Now Jacob, of course, was an infant, and um, he was not a fetus. All right, he was an infant. Say, man, somebody. And uh, this this baby, unconsciously, by a move of God in his soul, reaches out for the firstborn status. And so we notice something about Jacob and something about Esau that is important for us to notice, <coughs> because. We've been talking about the, the, the flesh and the spirit. We've been talking about the natural man and the carnal man and the spiritual man, right? Esau represents the carnal man. Esau representa el hombre carnal. And Jacob eventually will represent the spiritual man. Uh, el nombre, el, el Jacob eh, eventualmente va a representar el hombre espiritual. 
So when you hear about Esau, you're hearing about a man who represents the nature of sin, the nature of self-righteousness. Esaú representa la naturaleza del pecado y el, el, el querer justificarse a uno mismo. Jacob will become the man that represents the one who walks with God by faith. And his name will be changed from heel grabber to prince with God. Uh, el nombre de Jacob va a ser cambiado de uno que, que quiso agarrar el pie de su hermano o tomar el lugar de su hermano hacia Israel que significa príncipe con Dios. But I want you to notice some things here. Is that the, 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 the act of Jacob in his infancy reaching out for the heel tells us something about the spiritual man. Cuando Jacob lo vemos extender su mano para tomar el talón de su hermano, que literalmente lo que significa, aprendemos algo del hombre espiritual. Now I'm going to take you a little deep here, okay? So you just have to go with me, all right? I'm not going to go as deep as I could go because that would take us all night. But I'm just going to go a little deep here. The word heal in the Hebrew uh, means Heal, okay? But it also means something else. La palabra talón en el, uh, en el hebreo significa talón, pero también significa otra cosa. And the other thing that it means, or the other connection that it has, is that it is connected to the uh, ability to obey and receive a promise of God. La palabra también está atada a un significado que representa obedecer y recibir las promesas de Dios. I want you to think about a heel for a moment. Everybody bring your heels tonight. Some of the ladies, I hope, uh, only the ladies brought their heels, right? The guys did not bring their heels. But we all have heels, right? How important is your heel? ¿Qué tan importante es el talón? Very important. You start every step with your heel. Right? Unless you're doing the moonwalk. Then you, then you do it backwards. But every step begins with the heel. Todo paso comienza con el talón. That's the place of firmness. Es el lugar de firmeza. And that name is, uh, that word in Hebrew is connected to the idea that the man that obeys and receives the word of God and the promises of God, walks firmly. La idea en el hebreo es que el hombre o la mujer que camina uh, en obediencia y recibe las promesas de Dios en su vida, camina firmemente. And so I want you to just think about that because the heel then represents the uh, ability for a, the, the person to walk with God in obedience and to receive the promises of God, and those produce firmness in our life. Is there anybody in here that has some sound heels? Sound spiritual heels. Come on, somebody. Are you awake tonight? Then you and I have to be people who obey the word of God, and we have to be people who receive the promises of God. Tenemos que ser personas que obedecen la palabra de Dios y personas que... Uh, que reciben las promesas de Dios. Say that with me. Obey and receive. Diga obedecer y recibir. Those are two very important principles. So now let's connect that to the heel grabber. Ahora vamos a conectar eso a Jacob. What does Jacob do then? The spiritual man reaches for the heel. 
El hombre espiritual extiende su mano para tomar el talón. Quiere firmeza. The spiritual man wants firmness, stability. He wants to obey God and to receive the promises of God in his life. El hombre espiritual desea obedecer a Dios y desea uh, caminar en las promesas de Dios en su vida. So what we see really in Jacob is not that he was a tricky guy, uh, because he is that later, we'll see that. But the issue here is that he's an infant. In his spirit, there's something on the inside of him that is reaching out for the blessing of God on his life. Hay algo en el espíritu de este, este niño que lo hace alcanzar o extender su brazo para alcanzar, para tomarse de la bondad y la bendición de Dios en su vida. Now you, get, you need to understand that because as we get into this portion of scripture that we've read, you're going to be able to connect the dots a little bit. Usted necesita entender eso porque cuando usted lea este, este pasaje que vamos a estudiar esta noche va a poder conectar estos dos asuntos. But just for right now, I want you to have that in your mind that the spiritual man reaches for the heel. El hombre espiritual extiende su mano para uh, recibir o para tocar el talón. In other words, spiritual people reach for spiritual life. Say amen, somebody. El hombre espiritual extiende su, su brazo, su alcance para la vida espiritual. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, then you're going to desire spiritual things. El hombre espiritual desea cosas espirituales. That is the nature of the spiritual life. Esa es la naturaleza de la vida espiritual. If you say, Pastor, I don't have spiritual desires, then you are either a natural man who needs to be born again, or you are a carnal man who needs to get in the spirit. All right? And I'm not just trying to rub it in your face. I'm actually giving you the prescription for how to get a spiritual desire in your life. If you're a natural man, you can't have a spiritual desire. Because the Bible said that spiritual things have to be spiritually appraised. That means that a natural man cannot accept or understand spiritual things. El hombre natural tiene que ser nacido de nuevo. Porque el hombre natural no percibe ni entiende cosas espirituales. So if you tell a natural man to, uh, to tithe, he doesn't understand that. You tell a natural man to forgive, he doesn't understand that. You tell a natural man to confess his sins, he doesn't understand that. Because a natural man does not perceive or understand the things of God. Si usted le dice al hombre natural que perdone, o que diezme, o que ame, él no entiende eso. Porque esas son cosas espirituales. Y el hombre carnal, para tener deseos espirituales, ¿qué es lo que tiene que hacer? Tiene que caminar en el espíritu. The carnal man needs to walk by the Spirit to get out of his carnality and become a spiritual man. And so the spiritual man desires spiritual things. A, a, a spiritual person desires the Word of God. He desires prayer. He desires worship. He desires fellowship. A spiritual man desires all of these things because we are creatures made by God in our spirit that we, by nature, desire these things. El hombre espiritual desea la palabra, desea la oración, desea la adoración, desea la comunión. Y si usted siente que no desea esas cosas, busque a Dios. If you feel like you don't have the desire for the word or desire for prayer or desire for the worship, 
Uh, get in the Word. Get in prayer. Look for God's presence because that's a dangerous place to be. All right? And so we see that the spiritual man desires the spiritual things. But there's something else here now. And that is that Esau was born with the firstborn status. Ahora, vemos que Esaú nació con la primogenitura. He was born with a privilege. Nació con una, un privilegio, una ventaja. Now, in the old days, in the Bible, um, the, the, the way that inheritances were distributed upon the death of a parent was based upon the, uh, the, uh, the status of, of the, the time you were born or the, the number of, of your birth. So if you were born first, you got to be born first and you also had the privilege of getting twice as much inheritance as anyone else in your family. So if there were five children... The, the inheritance of the parents would be divided by six, and the firstborn would receive twice as much as everybody else. All right? That was the privilege of being a firstborn. El primogénito tenía el privilegio de poder recibir doble la herencia de los demás. Now, there were some other things that went with the firstborn status. Let me just mention this for, uh, for you. In the Bible, to be the firstborn means that you are, uh, were the beginning of strength. El ser primogénito significa el, el primero en la fuerza. Um, otro significado es el que abre el vientre. Uh, another meaning of firstborn is the one who opens the womb. The firstborn was not only uh, preeminent in the family, but they also became the leader of the family once the father died. Cuando moría el patriarca, entonces el primogénito se hacía el líder de la familia. And so this, this is carried out all throughout the Bible. But something interesting happens in the Bible. And, and that is that almost none of the major figures of the Bible are firstborns. So everybody who's second, third, or fourth born, just say amen. That's me right there. I was a third born. You know that uh, in the Bible, the firstborn almost never gets to enjoy the inheritance. Not because of some kind of trickery or deceit, but because most often in the Bible, the firstborn did not appreciate what it meant to be a firstborn. Now, I want to just run down this, run down this uh, with you quickly. Adam was the firstborn of the creation, and he lost it. Jesus then became the second Adam. And so Adam lost his status. Jesus claimed it. And we see that typified all throughout the Old Testament. Cain was the firstborn, but who did God favor? Abel. Cain era el primogenito. Pero Abel recibió la promesa. Ishmael was the firstborn. Ishmael, Ishmael era el primogenito. Pero quien recibió la promesa? Who received the promise? Isaac. And now we see that Jake, that Esau is the firstborn. But who, who do we know is going to receive the promise? Jacob. Uh, you know that David was the last born in his family. And yet... When Samuel came to anoint a king in the house of Jesse, he didn't anoint the firstborn. He anointed the lastborn. Why? Because when it comes to God, 
the privilege and opportunity of firstborn status goes to those who believe. Somebody say believe. Here's what the Bible tells us about Jesus, and I want to connect this to us real quick. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and that he is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is therefore before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have a first place in everything. Jesus is the firstborn of God's family by the virtue of his death on the cross. And so listen, at the head of the table in heaven, guess who is sitting at the head of the table? Jesus. Jesus has the firstborn status. Jesus is the preeminent one. And Jesus is the one who has received the double portion. Uh, es Jesús el primogénito del Padre. Él es el primogénito entre los muertos. Y Él es el, uh, uh, el amado y el que ha recibido en la doble porción de la herencia en su Padre. Now Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 22 through 24. Hebreos 12, 22 al 24. It says, but you have become, you have come to Mount Zion, uh, to the city of the living God, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who is enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. All right, what does it say there? It says there that we are the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. So you tonight are the church of the firstborn. Ustedes esta noche, de acuerdo a Hebreos, son la iglesia del primogénito. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that in Christ, you and I have firstborn status. Somebody say amen. Eso significa que en Cristo usted y yo tenemos la primogenitura. Tenemos acceso a la doble unción o la doble porción. Tenemos acceso a la bendición de Dios. In Christ, you and I have access to the double blessing. We have access to the blessing of God that was on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you. Say amen, somebody. And so I want you to understand that. I want you to know that, first of all, it's only in Christ. Say, in Christ. No one has this status outside of Christ. Este estatus solo lo tienen los que están en Cristo. Are you in Christ? Say yes. If you're not in Christ, you don't have access to this. But if you're in Christ, you have, you have firstborn status. Because you're in him. Si usted está en Cristo, entonces usted tiene la primogenitura. Tiene acceso a la bendición de Dios. Listen, the blessing of God is on you because you're in Christ. La bendición de Dios está sobre tu vida porque tú estás en Cristo. But I want you to also think about this. Is that you and I have to understand that this privilege and this responsibility of being a firstborn, of being a, a person that God has blessed, means that we need to properly value what it is to be a firstborn. 
tenemos que uh, evaluar y apropiar lo que es ser parte de la primogenitura. ¿Qué significa ser parte de la familia de Dios? What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? Now this is where we start to see the contrast. Who is the firstborn? Esau or Jacob? ¿Quién es el primogénito? Esaúl o Jacob? Esau or Jacob? Esau. But let's look at what happens in this account. The Bible says that uh, Jacob and Esau were conflicting brothers. And to top it off, they had parents who favored one and the other. That's why we said, uh-oh. Isaac, not this Isaac, but that Isaac, he loved barbecue. How many of you love barbecue? And he liked it because Esau was a hunter. And so Esau would go out and hunt and bring home um, something that he had, that he had killed and, and grill it. And that was Esau's favorite son. His favorite meal, his favorite pastime was Isaac's, uh, that should, I should say Esau was Isaac's favorite son. Rebecca had a mama's boy at home and he was named Jacob. All right, and he, he didn't really go hunting and he was more of a homebody and he didn't, he didn't cook deer and anything from the, from the wilderness. He was more like a ramen noodle kind of guy. Well, one day Esau comes in from hunting, and he uh, is three things, the Bible says. He is hungry, he is tired, and he's about to die. All right, let's look at those three words. Hungry, tired, and about to die. Dice la escritura que un día Esaúl, que le encantaba cazar, él hacía guisados o asados de carne que él, que él había cazado y su padre lo favorecía a él. Isaac favorecía a Saúl, pero Rebeca favorecía a Jacob. Jacob era uno de esos muchachos que se quedaba en la casa, estaba siempre cerca de la casa, siempre agarrado de la, de, a, del delantal de, de, de su madre y siempre estaba ahí cerca y, y él no era cocinero, no, no uh, cocía carne asada, pero uh, cuando viene Saúl un día y se, se acerca a la casa, dice que él tiene tres cosas, está sintiendo tres cosas, el hambre, el cansancio, y siente que se va a morir. Now, I want you to think about these three words. Say this with me. Hunger, weariness, and death. All right, now, I want you to notice how Esau uses these three things as an excuse to get rid of something that is more valuable than anything in his life. And I want you to study these with me because these three excuses are taking a lot of people out of their birthright. Estas tres cosas, el hambre y el cansancio y la muerte, están sacando a muchos de recibir su primogenitura. So some of you could be eating yourself out of your blessing tonight. And some of you might be 
missing out or selling out on your blessing because of these three things. So here is the story. Esau comes in, Esau entra, y él ve que Jacob ha preparado una, una sopa de algo, y, y él dice, dame un bocado de esa comida porque tengo hambre. He says to Jacob as he walks in, he says to Jacob, Jacob, uh, uh, give me a, a mouthful of that because I'm hungry. And Jacob, Jacob, now you have to understand, his whole life he's been grabbing for the heel. Toda su vida, Jacob ha estado queriendo el talón. The spiritual man desires spiritual things. And he, he sees an opportunity to get the heel. Él ve la oportunidad de lograr el talón. He says, well, I'll give you my ramen noodle soup if you sell me your birthright. Dice, te voy a dar este, esta sopa si me vendes tu primogenitura. And Jake and Esau now says to him, just give it to me before, because I'm tired. Don't you see that I'm about to die? Dice Esaúl, dámelo porque estoy para morir y vengo cansado. Y él está determinado a vender su primogenitura para comer una, una uh, uh, sopa. He's ready to exchange his birthright for a bowl of stew, a bowl of soup. Listen, I, I want you to notice this because on the one hand, you see the spiritual man valuing the birthright. And on the other hand, you see the natural man and the carnal man willing to give it away. You need to be very careful now because you are a firstborn. You have firstborn status. You're a child of God. Say amen, somebody. But too often, children of God sell out their birthright because they are hungry, tired, and dying. Now let's explore these three things. Number one, hungry. Hunger speaks to us about our natural appetite. El hambre habla sobre el apetito natural. Listen, anything that will talk you out of the kingdom of God begins with an appetite for natural things. Lo que te puedes sacar del reino de Dios es un apetito para las cosas naturales. Listen, Church, when you don't have an appetite for word, for prayer, for worship, for fellowship, a different appetite starts to develop, and that is an appetite for the flesh. Si usted no mantiene el apetito para la oración, la palabra, la uh, adoración, la comunión de los hermanos, si usted no mantiene el apetito espiritual, el apetito carnal va a levantar su cabeza. A, a fleshly appetite is never far away. If the spiritual man neglects spiritual things, he'll find himself following the appetite of his flesh. And I've told you before that the, the natural man is led by appetite and by emotion. El hombre natural, el hombre carnal es guiado por su apetito, por sus emociones. And uh, it might not just be an appetite for food. Yeah, let's be real clear tonight. Sometimes the flesh uh, has an appetite for things that have nothing to do with food. We're not just talking about food. We're talking about the cravings of the flesh. And many times those cravings are legitimate, but when the flesh takes over, they become illegitimate. They become abused. 
Los apetitos de la carne muchas veces son legítimos Pero el pecado siempre tuerce lo legítimo y lo hace ilegítimo You might have an appetite for food But overeating is a work of the flesh Everybody say amen This is not an altar call, right? Let's just, just hang in there You know, there's an appetite for sex And sex is a natural, God-created thing But outside of spiritual life, outside of marriage, sex becomes an appetite that is sinful and destructive to the heart and soul of man. And you can have an appetite for pleasure, but uh, because God made us to enjoy life and to enjoy the world and to have fun. But at the same time, if your natural man or the carnal man is governing the appetite for pleasure, then pleasure is going to become what rules your life. El placer es algo que Dios creó. Dios quiere que usted disfrutemos uh, el, el mundo que Él creó. Pero el placer en la carne nos lleva al pecado. El sexo es algo que Dios creó. Pero el sexo en la carne, sin el espíritu, sin las fronteras que Dios ha establecido en el matrimonio, eh, eh, nos lleva al pecado. Entonces tenemos que entender que el apetito tiene que ser gobernado por el Espíritu de Dios. The appetite has to be governed by the Spirit of God. That's why we fast. That's why we take time to say no to food and no to drink because we want to remind our flesh, you're not in charge here. You don't call the shots. I'm a spiritual man. I'm a spiritual woman. I walk by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit can tell the flesh what to do. El Espíritu puede dominar la carne. Nobody saying amen. The Spirit of God is the only thing that can tell the flesh what to do. Look at what Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says. Mire lo que Romanos capítulo 8 verso 13 nos dice. It says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body... You will live. Listen, that's a powerful truth there. Important truth. For victory over the flesh. How do you get victory over the flesh? Who puts the, the, the flesh to death? What does it say? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Dice ahí que por el Espíritu mortificamos las obras de la carne. Entonces, usted no puede dominar la carne... Sin el Espíritu. The flesh will not obey without the Spirit of God. That's why the spiritual man needs to walk by the Spirit. Because it's only by the Spirit that the flesh can be put in its place. Solo por el Espíritu puede la carne ser puesta en su lugar ap apropiado. Are you tracking with me tonight? ¿Cuántos me siguen esta noche? Si usted quiere mortificar la carne, tiene que caminar por el Espíritu. Listen, you wake up and you have a 10-point plan about how you're not going to fall into the same habit you fell into yesterday. That plan is going to fail. You have to move by the Spirit of God. You have to do it by the Spirit of God. Usted no va a tener éxito sobre la carne sin el poder del Espíritu de Dios. The Bible doesn't say to kill the flesh. The Spirit does that. Your job is to walk by the Spirit. Su trabajo es de caminar por el Espíritu. Now, if you go around thinking like this, this is how the flesh works. 
I'm not going to think bad thoughts. I'm not going to think bad thoughts. No bad thoughts. No impure thoughts. No bad thoughts. No bad thoughts. No bad thoughts today. No bad thoughts. That's how the flesh works. Because the more the flesh tries to dominate the flesh, the more the flesh grows. You're feeding a beast. How do you put those bad thoughts in their place? Whatsoever things are pure, are good, are holy, righteous, think on these things. That's what the Bible says. So when you go about thinking about what the Word of God says, when you go about thinking about what the promises of God are for your life, you have no time for the flesh to think it's evil thoughts because your spirit is ruling and reigning by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Say amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor, walk by the Spirit. When you do that, you mortify the deeds of the body. You mortify the deeds of the flesh. Si usted quiere dominar la carne, tiene que caminar... Por el Espíritu. Watch your appetite. Cuide su apetito. Because many people have left the household of God because they were hungry. And they weren't hungry for spiritual things. When, when we start saying things like this, it's not feeding me. Be careful. Because you're not, you're not feeding your spirit. You're feeding your flesh. And your flesh is going to rule in your life as long as you feed it. You have to feed the spirit and the flesh will starve. Si usted le da de comer al espíritu, va, va a mortificar las obras de la carne en su vida. The Bible says this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Dice la Escritura que Dios nos ha, no nos ha dado un espíritu de temor, sino un espíritu de poder y de dominio propio. The Holy Spirit brings self-control. El Espíritu Santo produce dominio propio en nuestra vida para dominar los apetitos de la carne. To dominate the appetite of the flesh. And I'm sure all of us tonight, and it, all of us tonight can think of someone who's not in the church anymore because they followed their appetite. They followed their appetite right out of grace, right out of, out of the, the peace of God, right out of the joy of God. They followed it right back to where they were before because their hunger for the flesh caused them to sell out their birthright. Now the second thing that Esau uses as an excuse is that he is tired. Anybody been tired? Have you ever been so tired, you're tired and hungry, but you don't even want to eat because you're tired? Esau's second excuse is, I'm tired. El segun, la segunda excusa de Saúl es, estoy cansado. Now, being tired is natural. If you run, you'll get tired. At least most of us do. El cansancio, el cansarse es natural. Pero aquí hay un principio espiritual. There's a spiritual principle here. And that is that a weariness uh, comes spiritually. Spiritual weariness, spiritual tiredness comes from not walking by the Spirit. It comes by walking in your own effort. 
in your own power. I promise you, if you try to do God's work by your power, you will burn out every single time. So when I hear anybody who was in the ministry leave the ministry and they say, I burned out, what were they doing the ministry by? By their own strength, by their own power. And I don't, I don't mock them because I know that any one of us could fall in that same trap. When you try to do God's will by your strength, it's going to produce spiritual weariness and burnout. Si usted quiere lograr hacer la voluntad de Dios por su propia carne, por su propio esfuerzo, le va a producir un cansancio espiritual y lo va a dejar fuera. Again, there are people who have left the house of God and they left from serving. Can we be honest tonight? Say, oh, pastor's going to name names. No, I'm not going to name names. I just want you to know that you can be serving on one Sunday and in a bar next Saturday. If you're not governing your life by the Spirit, you can get hungry and tired in one week and wipe out. Say amen, somebody. You've got to govern your life by the Spirit. But listen, what does that mean? It means that we walk in the Spirit's power. He's the fuel in the tank. And there's a specific word in the Bible that defines this. It's the word grace. Now, I want you to go to another verse in your Bible. This one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Ahora vaya a 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Porque aquí está el remedio para el cansancio espiritual. Mire, hay personas que han dejado la iglesia y estaban sirviendo en la casa de Dios. Pero ahora están fuera de la casa de Dios, ya no están sirviendo y su excusa es me cansé. Esa excusa viene no porque el trabajo de Dios es mucho, sino porque uh, a veces ponemos nuestro esfuerzo y no el poder de Dios. Listen, how do you, how do you, 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 you and I know some pastors who've been in the ministry 40 years and haven't burned out. How do you do that? How do you serve God for 40 years without burning out? How do you stay in, uh, in the ministry and, and serve the Lord and stay in your spiritual walk and continue in your, in your family life without burning out? It's by the Spirit of God. The Bible says it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. No es por fuerza ni, por, uh, ni con ejércitos, dice la palabra, sino por el Espíritu de Jehová. Now look at what Paul says. Fíjese lo que dice Pablo aquí. This is an extraordinary uh, verse here. Esto es algo impresionante que dice el apóstol Pablo. Dice, uh, he says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. But I labored even more than all of them. The word them there refers to the apostles, the other disciples, if you read the chapter. Not I, but the grace of God with me. Here's what Paul is saying, 21st century English. 
I work harder than all the other disciples and apostles. That's in the Bible. So he was not lying. He's telling the truth. All right. Now imagine it would be like me saying, I work harder than all the pastors in the city. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not saying that, but that's what Paul is saying, and he's accurate. He's saying, I work harder than all of the other apostles, harder than Peter, harder than John, harder than James, harder than Bartholomew, harder than Matthew, harder than Thomas. He's saying, I work harder than all of them. Pablo dice, yo trabajo más duro que todos los apóstoles. Now, that's an interesting statement, first of all, because none of them, all, I should say all of them walked with Jesus. The only one who didn't was Paul. He showed up late. And so he's running to get it all done. He showed up late and he died early. And in that time, he did more than all of them. Isn't that, doesn't that just frustrate you? Uh, Pablo llegó tarde y terminó temprano y hizo más que los demás. And so he says, I work harder than all of the apostles. He went, he went to more nations than any other apostle. When you read about other apostles, it says, Peter went here. Uh, Matthew went to India and so on and so forth. Paul went to Turkey, Asia Minor, Antioch, Greece, Rome. And he just lists all these places where Paul went. Now, that's, uh, I need you to understand it because of the light of what he's saying here. He says, by what? By what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And I labor more than all of the apostles, but, what does the last phrase say? Not I. What does it say? Not I. The grace of God in me. ¿Qué dice Pablo? Yo trabajo más que todos los apóstoles... Pero no yo. It's me, but it's not me. Soy yo, pero no soy yo. Es la gracia de Dios operando en mí. I need you to get this tonight because, because some of you are about to burn out if you don't get this tonight. And I also need you to get this tonight because some of you have callings on your life that are bigger than you can possibly do on your own. Listen, God is telling you tonight, you can't do this, but I can do it in you. My grace is what enables you to go further and to do more. And still have energy left when you get there. Because it's not you. It's me working in you. Say amen somebody. God's grace working in your life. Now you know when the Lord gave me this Bible verse. I had just. Um, I was elected. Let's see. Let me give you the history here. The story. I, I was. Uh, I started the Bethel School of Ministry. And then I was elected youth president. For our national ministry, national youth ministry. And I said, all right, God, that's about as much as I can do. And then, six months later, I was brought to Kingsway Church as a pastor. And I'm sitting in there in, in a prayer room during a seven-day fast prior to coming here. And I, I said, Lord, I don't know how I can do all of this. And he took me right here to this text. 
Paul worked harder than all of the apostles, but it wasn't him. It was my grace in him. And you know that I've gotten a few jobs on top of that since then. And do you know that somehow they all get done? But not I, but the grace of God at work in me. And so if you ever see somebody saying, I'm so tired. I'm tired of church. I'm tired of serving. I'm tired of being in the choir. I'm tired of teaching. I'm tired of these little kids in the nursery. Tell them to get in the spirit. Tell your neighbor, get in the spirit. Because the spirit does not complain. And when you're walking by the spirit, you have power to spare. Cuando usted camina por el Espíritu, usted va a tener poder de sobra. Así que los que andan diciendo, estoy tan cansado, ya no quiero servir, ya no quiero cantar, ya no quiero dar, están caminando en la carne. Dile, camina en el Espíritu. That might be you you have to talk to, right? Tomorrow morning, you just stare yourself in the mirror and you say, get in the Spirit. Do it, do it. Get in the Spirit right now. Right now, get in the Spirit. That's why David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He had to tell himself, get in the spirit. I don't want to sing. I don't want to worship. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. Speak in tongues. Do something, but you've got to get in the spirit. I tell the students at Bible school, our, our word is flip the switch. Because it's just that easy as flipping the switch. When you stop trusting in your own power, in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own experience, and you just say, take over, Holy Spirit. You speak to me, through me. You handle this situation. You anoint me. You give me the word. You give me the power. You help me understand how to, how to control these three to four-year-olds in the nursery. And when you do that, you flip that switch, the Holy Spirit will come in, and he'll give you wisdom that you could not have learned anywhere. He'll give you knowledge and insight and understanding. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Now, there's one more thing. That, that Esau used as an excuse. What was it? Death. All right. Now, this is an interesting one. He says, I'm about to die. He wasn't about to die. He's probably 16. Now you understand, don't you? I'm so bored. I'm going to die. I'm going to die if I don't get those new shoes. I'm going to die if I don't get that new game system. All right. Here now we have a spirit that appears in the church from time to time. We call that the spirit of exaggeration. Aquí está un espíritu que aparece en la iglesia de vez en cuando. Es el espíritu de exageración. He has taken a little problem and made it a mountain. Ha tomado un problemita y lo ha hecho montaña. Have you ever made a mountain out of a anthill? ¿Cuántos han hecho montaña de un de un 
Unión de tierra. En una taza de agua se está ahogando. He's drowning in a tea kettle, a teacup. You know, if you're drowning in a teacup, what do you have to do? Just get up. Si se está ahogando en una taza de agua, ¿qué hace? Levántese. Es tan fácil. Pero la exageración es, un, es una uh, fórmula que usa el enemigo porque no tenemos la perspectiva divina. What do we see here at work is that exaggeration is the lack of a godly perspective. La falta de una perspectiva divina produce un espíritu de exageración. Hace los problemas pequeños grandes. When you don't have a, a godly perspective, that means godly vision. When you can't see where God is taking you, all you can see is now. And that's everything that is governing Esau is now. Right now. I've got to have it now. If I don't have it now, I'm going to die. And he is walking right out of his birthright because of the inability to put off or delay gratification and to wait on God's time and God's purpose. Many people have walked out of their purpose and their blessing from God because they couldn't get a divine perspective. Muchos han dejado ir, he dejado ir su promesa y han dejado ir la habilidad de, de obtener el propósito de Dios en su vida. ¿Por qué? Porque dejaron la falta de perspectiva divina, producir exageraciones, hacer cosas más grandes que lo que eran en su vida y han dejado ir su primogenitura. Listen, there are people today who are out of church, they're out of faith, Because 20 years ago, somebody didn't say hello at church. Or because when they came in, they wanted to sit in the back, and the usher said, section closed. And they said, well, I'm going to go back home. Really? Really? You're going to walk out of God's house? Because of a simple inconvenience. You've got to watch your birthright. This is what the Bible says. Hold fast to what you have, Revelation 3, so that no one will take your crown. Dice la Escritura, retén lo que tienes para que ninguno tome tu corona, Apocalipsis 3. Think about that. That word hold fast, it means watch, guard, retain your birthright, your crown, what you have. Retén lo que tienes significa vela sobre él. That word retain literally means know what it is, study it. Some of you are richer than you think. You just don't know what you have. I promise you this. There are some people right now who wish they had what you had. 
They look at you and they say, you know, I'd like to have that job. I say, Pastor, you don't know what my job is. Well, it's just a matter of perspective. Because there's always somebody who doesn't have a job at all who would wish they had your job. There's somebody who looks around and says, I want to be serving in church one of these days. I want to be able to greet somebody at the door or receive the offering or serve the Lord's table. So if that's your role, retain it. Study it. Understand this is something precious that God has given to me. I see uh, sometimes pastors complaining about, you know, the 10 or 12 people they have in their congregation, the 20 or so people in their congregation, they're complaining about their, their grumpy church members or whatnot. And I think, you know, there's somebody else out there that's just dying for God to give them a little flock. So watch what you have. Don't let anybody tuck you out of it, especially not your appetite and especially not weariness and especially not an exaggerating spirit that leads you to think that what you have is not worth fighting for and living righteously for and defending. Come on, somebody, because what you have was not given to you by man. It was given to you by God. Hold fast to what you have so that no one takes your prize. You know that word crown, it means two things. It means prize and it means rank. Don't let anyone take your rank. What's your rank? Well, I am the second in command on the fourth Tuesday. No, what's your rank? Well, I'm a pastor. No, what's your rank? Your rank is firstborn. Did you hear me? I said your rank is firstborn. I don't care if you are not, if you're not a pastor, you're still ranked higher because you're a child of God. Don't let anyone take your prize. Don't let anyone take your crown, your rank. No, I'm a firstborn. And this is why Jacob who was born without the firstborn status, when he saw an opportunity to buy that status, he said, sell me your birthright. Now, you say, Pastor, how do, I, how do I buy the birthright? Well, let's close here. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Verse 1. Ho to everyone who thirsts, come to the water, you who have no money, buy and eat. So imagine God has a general store. He says, come, buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine. How? How? Without money and without cost. God has a general store. The only way you can walk in is by faith. And there are no price tags 
on anything. How do you receive? By faith. Remember what heal means? Heal means to obey and receive. How do you get a birthright? How do you get to walk in the blessing of God? You have to receive from God. If I come to your birthday party and I bring you a package that's wrapped nicely and beautifully and I give you a gift and you say, oh, no, 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 pastor, I'm not worthy, not worthy. Don't deserve this. You don't even know what it is. I just don't deserve it. You can't have what you won't receive. So receive it by faith. Let's stand together. Receive from God what you need by faith. Not by works, not by effort, not by your own strength, not by your own ability. God's grace is sufficient for you. Tonight, if you're hungry, let God fill you. And if you are tired, let the Holy Spirit take over. And if you are exaggerating, calm down, get a perspective. And realize God is still on his throne. I'm not going to die in this valley. I'm not going to die with this problem. I'm not going to die because of this situation. Come on, somebody. I'm going to live and not die. And I'm going to declare the works of the Lord in the land of the living. Somebody lift their hands tonight and just act like a firstborn. Just go into the Father's house and start receiving the things that you need from God tonight. Receive the things you, you need from God without money, without cost, without labor, without your effort. Not you, but the grace of God at work in you. Almighty God, we thank you because you've made us firstborn. You've made us a people chosen, set apart for good works. A people who have a source of power that cannot be duplicated, that cannot be bought or sold on the public market. It is an anointing and a grace that comes into our life by faith. Tonight I pray for the weary. Let them come unto you and rest. I pray for those that are broken, that they might bring their brokenness to you. I pray for those whose appetite in their flesh has been raging. Let the spirit arise and bring dominion and power and strength to bear upon every power of hell in their life. I pray, God, for a divine perspective. Let us see as you see. Let us see that the giant that is standing beside us is greater than the giant that is standing before us. That the mountain that we call God is greater than the molehill that the devil has put in our way. That our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask. Come on, somebody reach for the heel tonight. Let the spiritual man desire spiritual things. Reach for your blessing. Reach for stability.